reading is from chapter 12, and it's verse 1 to 19. So I'll read that out first. I'm going to read it from the New Living Translation. About that time, King Herod Agrippa began to persecute some believers in the church. He had the apostle James, John's brother, killed with a sword. When Herod saw how much this pleased the Jewish people, he also arrested Peter. This took place during the Passover celebration. Then he imprisoned him, placing him under the guard of four squads of four soldiers, four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring Peter out for the public trial after the Passover, but while Peter was in prison, the church prayed very earnestly for him. The night before Peter was to be placed on trial, he was asleep, fastened with two chains between two soldiers. Others stood guard at the prison gate. Suddenly, there was a bright light in the cell, and an angel of the Lord stood before Peter. The angel struck him on the side to awaken him and said, Quick, get up! And the chains fell off his wrists. Then the angel told him, Get dressed and put on your sandals. And he did. Now put on your coat and follow me, the angel ordered. So Peter left the cell, following the angel, but all the time he thought it was a vision. He didn't realise it was actually happening. They passed the first and second guard posts and came to the iron gate leading to the city, and this opened for them all by itself. So they passed through and started walking down the street, and then the angel suddenly left him. Peter finally came to his senses. It's really true, he said. The Lord has sent his angel and saved me from Herod and from what the Jewish leaders had planned to do to me. When he realised this, he went to the home of Mary, the mother of John Mark, where many were gathered for prayer. He knocked at the door in the gate, and a servant girl named Rhoda came to open it. When she recognised Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed that instead of opening the door, she ran back inside and told everyone, Peter is standing at the door. You're out of your mind, they said. When she insisted, they decided, it must be his angel. Meanwhile, Peter continued knocking. When they finally opened the door and saw him, they were amazed. He motioned for them to, be, to quiet down and told them how the Lord had led him out of prison. Tell James and the other brothers what has happened, he said, and then he went to another place. At dawn, there was a great commotion among the soldiers about what had happened to Peter. Herod Agrippa ordered a thorough search for him. When he couldn't be found, Herod interrogated the guards and sentenced them to death. Afterward, Herod left Judea to stay in Caesarea for a while. Now, when you read this, I think probably particularly in this translation, but when you read this uh, um, passage, it, it's quite funny, really, if you imagine yourself being there. I mean, I find it quite interesting the way the angel talks to Peter. He hits him to wake him up, <laughs> and he tells him what to do. Get this on. Put your shoes on. Get a coat on. Um, and, you know, I, wonder, I do wonder how angels see us, whether they, they roll their eyes at us sometimes. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I, I just quite find that quite an interesting um, exchange between him and the angel. 
And then there's the fact that, you know, Peter, he doesn't really understand what's going on. He's had visions. He's not quite sure. You know, he, he was asleep. Maybe he's only half awake. He's not quite sure what's going on. He thinks God is just showing him something. And it's only when he's left on his own in the street that he realizes that he's actually been set free. And then, of course, there's Rhoda, the servant girl. And the fact that she recognizes that it's Peter, but instead of actually opening the door, she runs off to tell everyone that he's there. And then you have Peter, who's a wanted man, bless him, standing in the street, keeping knocking the door. Why, you know, there's people looking, going to be looking for him. And um, he's just got to patiently wait there until they have their little debate about whether it's him or whether it's his angel, and eventually get back to letting him in. So it's quite a funny little exchange, really. Um, little passage. Uh, and, it, and I think it, it's quite good because it's kind of, it, it's very human. It's just really human. I was talking to a friend recently, this is quite unrelated, but it, it kind of reminded me of it. I was talking to a friend about a television show we'd watched. Um, we'd both watched it, but he got to a part where a character did something that he didn't think a person would do. In that, he said, oh, I didn't think it was very realistic, so I've stopped watching it. And the, you know, it, was a, it was a crime drama, so what had happened uh, was somebody was shooting and somebody ran away. But instead of trying to dodge, they just ran in a straight line, which isn't very clever. But I thought, well, I think you think we're a bit cleverer than we are, really. You know, sometimes in films, everyone does things that absolutely perfectly, but that's not the tr truth in real life, is it? We're often doing really silly things. We often make mistakes. And that's, um, that's one of the uh, a really good argument I've um, heard many times and I really agree with about how you can tell that the Bible is true. Because if it was fake, they would never have included all the mistakes that the disciples made. They wouldn't have included all the stupid decisions they'd made. If they were trying to start a new church, you know, a, a new movement, they would have made Peter look perfect but instead they show that peter earlier on denies jesus you know if they were trying to make this up then they would never have said that jesus would have told a woman to go and tell people that he'd been raised from the dead and yeah they just would never have included these kind of silly stories but the fact that they do i think it really encourages me to realize you know that these were real people and that they were this is authentic and that if they were allowed to be real people with real mistakes and real silliness, and so are we. Um, the other part, the next thing that um, kind of struck me in this passage, which definitely isn't as funny, is the different treatment that uh, the two disciples, the apostles, get. So we have James and we have Peter. James dies straight away. It doesn't tell us much about it. He was killed by the sword. Peter, however, is saved miraculously from the same fate. And, you know, these two, this was uh, James, the brother of John. So it was Peter, James, and John. That was what it always was. They were the three closest to Jesus. He took them with him everywhere. And yet James died so quickly. And, you, you know, you might find yourself asking, you know, why was one allowed to die and the other miraculously saved? You know, was it... Was it a mistake? Was it that the believers had been praying for Peter and maybe they hadn't been praying for James? 
As I was looking at this and thinking about it, I was thinking about um, how it says in Jeremiah, it's chapter 29, verse 11. It's a, um, a verse that we often uh, put on babies' cards especially, but we often quote. It says, I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you hope and a future. And I do absolutely love that pass that verse. But at the same time, we all know that life isn't always sunshine and rainbows for believers. And um, there is a, Psalm 1 is one of my favourite psalms, and I really love it. I often think of it. And it also talks about this prospering. What it says is this. Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked, or stand around with sinners, or join in with mockers. But they delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. They are like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit for each season. Their leaves never wither, and they prosper in all they do. And I, I love that, that passage. But I often think about what that means to prosper in all you do. And I often think, I've started to think more and more actually, that I don't think it is about everything you do going well. It's not about everything you do being a success. I think it's more about that in everything you do and in everything that happens to you, you prosper because of him. No matter what is happening, you still prosper. You still overcome. And, you know, it's something that I think about a lot in that um, some people who suffer real oppression and, you know, believers in other countries who are really, really um, oppressed, and yet they speak of such amazing relationship with God. And they wouldn't change it. And, you know, it makes me think about that actually in adversity, God is so close to us. I don't know about you, I find when I'm going through something tough, God speaks much more, I feel like he speaks more clearly. It's probably because I'm listening more. And like, I'll be reading the Bible and it all just rings true and comes to life. And every worship song makes me cry. And I think about that when I think of the people who, have, who are not prospering by the world's standards. And yet, they are prospering because they are overcoming I think uh, it's really interesting that, you know, the people you would imagine would have the most of God's favor, if that's possible, would be people like Jesus, people like Peter, like Paul, and all the apostles. But they all really suffered. And yet they prospered because they overcame. You know, I was reminded again of what Paul writes in... Um, later on in the New Testament, that he's, he's not sure what he'd prefer, to die or to live. You know, actually, he preferred to be, go be with God, he says. Um, but actually, he knows that he's supposed to be here for now. And he says, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. You see, I think it's really easy to do, and I think we all do it. We are here, we have these eyes, we, we see so much of this world through today's struggles, and today's prosperity levels we see through today's lens but this is such a small stretch of time that we live on this earth 
and eternity is going to last forever. And we're going to be with him and we're going to be at peace and we're going to be fulfilled forever. I'm not sure how much time we'd be there to think about this time now. It makes me think about something that God spoke to me a while ago about babies that don't get born, about um, miscarried babies and stillborn babies. God really spoke to me about them. He said that he had a plan for them too. Um, and goodness knows what kind of delights they're having in heaven now. They've leapfrogged all this mess, and they've gone straight to him. And, uh, but he has plans for them too. And I was thinking about James. You know, he dies, and you might, he might look like the weaker, the one who lost in this situation, but he got to go home. So I really don't think it's a sign of disfavor when people exit life early. You know, all you have to do is look at Jesus. He was my age when he died. So I do, I think it's too simple and too worldly to look at it that, you know, Peter made it and James doesn't make the cut. I think that as with everything, comparison is just not helpful. Comparison is the enemy of compassion. When you compare yourself, your story with others, you either do a disservice to yourself or you'll do a disservice to the other person. It's God's business what he asks us to do. And, you know, if you're, if you're trying to compare everything like for like, I mean, if you compare this prison break to the one when Paul and Silas break out, they're released from prison later on in Acts. But when they're released from prison, the jailer gets converted. Now, what, that's an even more wonderful story. In this one, the guards are probably killed. But there they are converted. So does that mean that this one, this isn't such a great miracle as the others? No, I don't think so. I don't think we compare, compare things like for like. And finally, just there was just one more thing I wanted to mention about this passage. Um, and it was, uh, it's one that um, Tom Wright brings up in his book, that it's the commentary we're reading on Acts at the moment. He's, it says, in this version at least, uh, it says about how Peter's been arrested and then at the end of that first paragraph in the passage, it says, But while Peter was in prison, the church prayed very earnestly for him. So we know that they're there and they're praying for Peter like mad. They've all gathered together. That's why Peter finds a lot of them together. But then they show so much disbelief. You know, when he does turn up, they don't think it could be him. No, he must be mad, they say to Rhoda. They say, oh, it must be Peter's angel. And uh, commentaries aren't quite sure. Some people think that's maybe just like a guardian angel idea. Some people think that might mean that he was dead and that that was him coming as a, an angel, as a ghost. Well, not ghost, but as a spirit, sorry. Um, but they obviously didn't believe it would be Peter, even though they were praying for him to be released. It shows this, this strange lack of faith, which you don't expect from these people who've seen so much. But I, did find, I do find that quite a comfort. Again, the humanity of these people, these people who spread the word of Jesus all over the world, even over to us, so imperfect, sometimes wavering in their faith. 
So it just, it can be a comfort to us to realise that it's not about being perfect. But also it is a challenge. It's a challenge that when we pray, that we should believe that he will answer. Because he says he will. And he so often has. And he so often does. And if we listen, he'll tell us how he's going to do it, because it's not always exactly how we thought. Um, maybe they were praying for something for Peter to be saved in a different way, and they just didn't expect him to turn up like that. So they weren't ready to accept it straight away. Um, I don't know, but yeah, it is a challenge for us to pray with faith and then to wait on the answer. But I'll just finish with a prayer and then we'll have a, another song. Yeah, Lord, I, I love your word. I love to read about these early believers who got to know you and, and yet they weren't perfect. And thank you for how much patience you had with them. Thank you that you didn't make us all into your, to these little drones who had to do what we were told to do and had to do things perfectly. That's not how it is. You just call us and we answer your call and then you lead us. God, I thank you that you do have good plans for all of us. Lord, help us to trust you that they are good. Help us not to get caught up in comparisons with each other. Help us to be full of grace and mercy to each other and to ourselves. But Lord, thank you that you have an individual call for each one of us. Thank you that you want to involve us in your plans and help us to, to answer that call. And uh, thank you that, that this isn't something where you ask us to go and do something, you just send us off. You're with us. You're with us every step of the way. And it's by your power and for your glory that we do it, Lord. Amen. Uh, so we're going